Welcome, everybody, to the 29th episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. I'm your host, once again, uh, Dominic Chapone here. Um, doing a little bit of a solo bit. Haven't done one of these, you know, news or NBA news solo segments in quite a long time. In fact, it's probably been, you know, two and a half to three months, something along those lines, trying to bring a lot of guests on, of course. Um, the last time we did an NBA episode was definitely a hot minute. In fact, June 1st was the last time we talked about the playoffs in general. And June 3rd was the last time we just had anything NBA-related when we had that, you know, Miami Heat bubble episode talking about that team, all that sort of stuff. Um, as a result, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, we've got, obviously, we're almost near the conference finals in both the Eastern Conference and in the Western Conference. Uh, all NBA teams, among other news, or another, among other award, uh, award selections are already being released. We've got coaching changes, franchises already Looking forward to the off season. So definitely a lot to talk about. In fact, we even have a couple trades that we can get into as well. So just want to start off by first off taking this first couple minutes to uh, discuss the playoffs here, obviously, a bit. Um, as we're recording this, obviously, we've got a lot happening uh, in the Eastern Conference. Both series are heading toward a Game 7, uh, one being more surprising than the other, I think. Uh, Philadelphia has definitely underwhelmed this postseason compared to uh, what many had thought. Obviously, a lot of different factors. I think Embiid uh, has been a little bit less healthy than I thought we thought he was going to be. Uh, ben Simmons has been way more un- or ineffective compared to what we thought he was going to be. Uh, Trey Young and you know Bogdan Bogdanovich and Quinn Capel and all of these guys in Atlanta have really taken leaps this postseason. Um, so definitely an interesting series there, uh, obviously game seven coming soon on that front. And then the bigger one, of course, is this Bucks net series, which has been a roller coaster of events, uh, throughout. I mean, obviously, you know, Milwaukee gets blown out the first two games, game three happens and Brooklyn cannot make any shot whatsoever. You know, Milwaukee's getting some of the calls game four, Kyrie Irving goes down, uh, didn't mention this, but in game one, first less than a minute into it, James Harden has that hamstring thing. Game five, the all-time Durant game in terms of his legacy, easily one of his best performances, not his best performance of all time, you know, nearly two years off an Achilles injury and plays all four to eight minutes, basically drops 50 points on the elitist of efficiency as you could possibly get in a playoff game. Um, and of course, heading into game six, Bucks completely torched the Nets toward the end of the game. And now we're here with the game seven, obviously two very interesting it's a very interesting overall NBA plus, but particularly out east because uh, definitely some good teams out there, but I'm still trying to figure out like what is going on with half these rosters. I mean, Milwaukee, after they're starting five and, you know, six man, basically don't have any bench whatsoever. And they're just relying, you know, all these guys to play big minutes. You're looking at Brooklyn and, you know, without Kyrie, obviously, uh, it's been a little bit more of a, a hold of fill than we thought because he actually gives you that ball handle, you know, kind of set up Kevin Durant. And obviously you still have Harden, you still have KD, you still have the other role guys, but definitely a big absence indeed, especially, you know, when the offense is stalling and they're doing the Kevin Durant isos, you know, 20 times uh, in a certain quarter. So definitely a, a weird weird situation for them. I mean, Philly this whole time, it's been like, you know, an offensive dumpster fire uh, if Embiid is not, you know, averaging 30 to 35 points because every team is doubling him and saying, uh, all these other shooters, like, let him go. Like, Furkan Korkmaz, you are going to shoot seven times a game, and if you get hot, great. Uh, and if you don't, you're fine, too. And, you know, Matisse Thibault, you're going to let it fly six times a game. And Ben Simmons, please, control the offense in the half court because he can't do anything. And then if you're Atlanta, I mean, you are the most frisky team probably out of this whole postseason compared to your competition. It is just... It's insane to see their growth. I've personally not been a big fan of Atlanta because I think uh, the whole extended absence uh, 
uh, when they weren't invited to the bubble, when the season got cut short and had all that time to, you know, rest up, get better, improve chemistry, definitely was a big influence in why they're maybe overachieving than what I thought to be. But at some point, they're just a good team. They've got three-point shooting. Trey Young really is a, a better, of a, a bigger playoff guy than we all thought he would be. I think uh, there's this mindset that, you know, under six-foot guards can't do much in the playoffs. And we've seen it before, you know, Isaiah Thomas. Um, uh, I mean, some of these other guys where it's just like, if you're too small at some point, like teams can pick on you, especially the smart teams who've got size. They've got length, they've got defense, they've got versatility. Um, so yeah, definitely great, great series so far. 80s. And then out west, of course, we got the Western Finals already set to go. Uh, the Utah Jazz losing to the LA Clippers last night. Terrence Mann, of all people, you know, dropping over 40 points, making, you know, seven three-pointers. Paul George had one of his best games probably in his postseason career, and obviously his legacy is not toward that. Um, obviously, Utah, you know, they're starting backcourt, Somewhat injured, somewhat not healthy. Donovan Mitchell didn't look 100%. Mike Conley was out there, but you know, the hammy problems are always a problem. But they weren't, They it simply put, they weren't a good team. I honestly, I had this from the jump. I think that they were one of the, the probably the leading candidate for the overachieving regular season team that flames out. Just because they had inconsistent scoring, relying on basically three-point shooting, which those open looks that they banked on so highly in the playoff or in the regular season don't tend to age well in the playoffs outside of Donovan Mitchell and then Mike Conley I mean it really was hard for them to get a guy who can just dribble on the team and actually make up shots and you know do all that sort of stuff so um shout out to the Clippers obviously still without Kawhi Leonard making it to their first Western Conference Finals doing it in stunning fashion you know you're down 25 points at some point in the game you're at home in front of your crowd that's you know seen the misery of that franchise for the last, you know, 50 plus years, you know, all the turmoil, all the injuries, all the bad, you know, what uh, sort of uh, unexplainable stuff that happens to them in the most unfortunate ways. And then, you know, you got Paul George and Terrence Mann, of all people, torching them, and they're making every three-pointer known to man, and you just can't stop them. And then, obviously, we haven't even talked about this team in a while, but uh, Phoenix making the Western Conference Finals for their first time in exactly 11 years. You know, the whole thing with Chris Paul... Can he lead a team to an NBA Finals? Because this changes things now. I think for the longest time, everyone thought Chris Paul was like the ultimate floor raiser for a franchise. And we've seen it time and time again. I mean, even just like him hopping around uh, when he started out in New Orleans and then moved to Los Angeles and then to Houston, to OKC, and then now Phoenix. He takes your team from, you know, the bottom feeder slash, you know, below average to above average group and really turns you into a 50-win team that can be a fifth seed or a fourth seed at the minimum. And Phoenix is really has a chance to win the title this year. I think they have a really good, well-rounded team. I think Devin Booker has taken leaps this year. DeAndre Aiden looks like a new player and isn't, you know, the flameout that we thought he could have been with the number one pick in 2018. Uh, I really like Phoenix this year, and I think, once again, this changes a lot. Uh, if 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 CP3 can make the finals, you, you're talking about, in the all-time rankings, him going from, like, that Tier 3 Hall of Famer, you know, like in the... 38 to 46 range and now somebody who's probably like the lower 30s upper 20s like maybe in the 27 to 26 range just because that was the one thing holding him back in his legacy was the inability to have him be the best guy on a finals contender and this definitely gonna change that for sure so obviously big postseason matchups coming up all that sort of stuff be sure to tune in it's been a great postseason so far a lot of crazy stuff 
uh, even despite everything going on and, you know, still trying to adjust. Really good postseason, and it's good to be back definitely having this sort of playoff basketball. Now, speaking of playoff basketball, we can actually get into, this was a bit of a couple days ago in terms of news, but obviously there's the whole situation with LeBron James, uh, him basically going on a Twitter rant in terms of, you know, the players and the, especially the superstars getting injured, uh, thoughts on, you know, like they shouldn't have rushed back this season, all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot to talk about there. I don't want to spend too much time because um, we have a lot of news to go to. I just want to leave my thoughts with this. There's definitely two sides to this coin. On the one hand, you could make the case that, yes, the NBA did rush us back. And you could see it in the results. I mean, I've said this from time and time again. It's no coincidence that the four teams that made the NBA final, or the, excuse me, the Eastern and Western Conference finals last year all flamed out miserably. I mean, Los Angeles wasn't healthy toward the end of this year. The Heat were not the same team this whole year. Boston gets, you know, swept, or basically nearly swept in this first round. Denver has, you know, a little bit of a run. Obviously, Jokic is just really good. But on the other hand, Jamal Murray gets injured. Half the roster by the end of the season isn't intact. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the wear and tear from last season, rushing back, especially for the Heat and Lakers getting, you know, 70 days of rest, it definitely showed this season. Uh, and we can't, there's no other way to prove that. And I mean, even you can look at it the other way too, where teams that didn't play at all really did overachieve this season. I mean, you can look at a team like Atlanta and New York who made marginal improvements to the roster. Don't get me wrong, but somehow were basically not only 500 teams, but like above 500 win teams that were like good. Like, you know, we're talking top four and five seeds in the whole conference and they might be some of the worst four or five seeds probably ever. Uh, at least off the top of my head. So, I mean, it's just, you know, you're, I'm not trying to nitpick the numbers here, but that is, there is a case for that, of course. And obviously, it's a, it's a tricky situation. On the other hand, though, I mean, I've always been, the, uh, as somebody who works, you know, with journalism, somebody who works with, um, with media, I can definitely say that this is one of those things where this is a case of, you know, people just trying to find a story out of nothing, I mean, if you look at the numbers, I mean, I understand it's been a couple superstars and big name guys, but the injury rate for the postseason is almost the same as it's been for the last half decade, minus a couple shifts, like by like a couple decimal percentages, whatever. In other words, it's only because there's a couple bigger names this season compared to other years that people are really hammering home like the seed. This is why we shouldn't have had a season. Why do we rush it back? When in reality, this is just a normal year and it just happened to be a couple big name guys. And I also think as selfish as it sounds, you have to do factor in the whole LeBron didn't make it past the first round thing and him trying to make up an excuse. And don't get me wrong, we're talking about the second best player of all time, one of the greats. I I respect that last, especially this bubble season when he torched my team, that it was some of the best basketball I've seen him play. However, though, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think, obviously, he wanted to bring that to the forefold on purpose because, obviously, it looks... Uh, it's obviously a taint on his resume that he couldn't, that his team was a seven seed and they couldn't make it out of the first round, even when you factor in everything, of course. With that said, obviously, I don't want to spend too much time on this tricky situation. Indeed, it's a lot to talk about. So we'll can it at that, but just leave it on a note that injuries are part of the game. Um, obviously, they can affect certain series. Definitely uh, off the top of my head. I mean, there's been years where if a certain guy wasn't injured, that team probably would have won the title. I mean, you look at probably the Rockets in 2018, uh, the Mavericks in 2003. I think everyone forgets that Dirk Nowitzki leg injury. Um, a couple other seasons that, you know, if that guy wasn't injured, I mean, the other team probably wins. So, I mean, that matters, of course. So 
with that said, it's part of the game, and you just move on from it, and it's a lo- it's it's really just a matter of chance, so you can't harp too much on that. You can have systems in place to ensure that injuries happen less and less, um, but definitely, it's obviously a tricky situation. We don't want to spend too much time on that. Let's move on. Um, our next topic involves actually our first trade of the NBA offseason. We've got a big one here because obviously uh, uh, involving Boston and, Th- and the Oklahoma City Thunder, definitely two interesting rosters here. On the one hand, we have a Boston team that just got flamed out in the first round by a Brooklyn team. Uh, obviously, new management. I mean, when we were when we didn't do an NBA episode, a lot happened, and one of those was the uh, downfall of the old regime. I mean, Danny Ainge is stepping down. Brad Stevens just says, I'm not going to be the coach anymore, but I will take a role as the president of basketball operations. In other words, I will be in charge of creating who we're going to play on the court. And off the bat, obviously, we're seeing the moves he wants to make, and it's kind of rounding out the roster a little bit, which is super cool. Um, in terms of the deal itself, basically, Kemba Walker, uh, the 16th pick in this year's NBA draft, so 2021, are are going to Oklahoma City along with the second-round pick in 2025. Boston is getting back Al Horford, obviously, former Celtic, you know, very big fan favorite there. Moses Brown, kind of a young, intriguing prospect, kind of appreciate it, and then a second-round pick in 2023. So basically, Kemba Walker and his big contract, two picks going to Boston for Al Horford and his semi-big contract, Moses Brown, and then a pick of its own. Um, In terms of what's happening here, so obviously a lot. Um, Kemba Walker's now out of Boston, and now this was obviously a big question for the Celtics was that is a huge number to pay a guy who's had uh, paperweights for knees in the past, you know, three to four years, and Boston basically said it's time to give up that contract, and he was paid like over $30 million the next two seasons, and that money's now gone from their books, which is super cool. Um, they get back Al Horford, which definitely they needed that switchable rim protector who can also do a little bit of playmaking to take the burden off Tatum or Brown, which is very nice. Obviously, questions about the age and his contract because he gets paid pretty big. I think this coming season, the next season, and then he has like a a non-guarantee or something like that that last year. So a little bit more flexible in terms of finances, getting paid a little bit less. But obviously, you're basically banking on this guy to return to what he was in 2018 or 19, obviously. It's hard to say that in the NBA sometimes with certain guys, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I actually kind of like the whole Moses Brown thing. I actually like he was pretty intriguing coming out of OKC, um, especially when he was playing garbage minutes. Obviously, we'll have to see centers wise um, how much value he brings to the uh, to Boston, but definitely a cool young guy indeed. Uh, if you're Oklahoma City, you should be impressed that you know you're taking on a guy who I think there's a win win for OKC getting a basically lottery pick is really good, especially now that they've got, I think it's the first five picks out of the first 39 picks or 35 picks. In other words, they have a monopoly on a good portion of what's going to happen in the draft and on the in, the influence they can have moving up potentially to get, you know, two top 10 picks or two top seven picks uh, to trade down with a team that might be looking to move up. So they we're going to definitely watch out for Oklahoma City during this run right here. And then also, you got the Kemba Walker factor where he's maybe not 100% healthy, but man, if you rehab him and he's averaging, you know, 23 points and, you know, six assists and decent efficiency, uh, you've got him as a trade asset right here. I mean, maybe a team wouldn't be, you know, forking over two firsts for him, but, you know, you can get back a couple seconds, maybe take on another guy, you know, get back another first, kind of like keep playing that dance. So obviously, interesting trade for both teams. 
especially Oklahoma City, you know, I think this is a obvious one you should do for them. Uh, and then if you're boss, I mean, you're just trying to retool this roster around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, there's obviously a lot of tension with both the uh, between the Walker camp and the Celtics camp. So good to see that they're finally moving on. Horford's a familiar piece. Uh, definitely an intriguing situation indeed uh, out in Boston. All right, we've got about two more topics here. So I think the next topic that I want to focus on is um, the coaches. Because obviously uh, in the last two weeks or so, again, since we last recorded an NBA episode, it's just been a coaching bonanza in terms of who's getting fired, what are the potential options for new coaches, all that sort of stuff. So we can just run down each team here because I want to start with some of the more intriguing ones and then go down and see where it goes. The first one's the biggest one. That's Dallas. Um, a lot of turmoil there. I mean, uh, not Don Nelson, but I think Donnie Nelson, whoever's like the son of Don Nelson, he's just stepped down as the basketball of operations manager. Um, or pro- probably he was actually fired. Rick Carlisle, the actual coach, he was he actually resigned from his post. So now we've got a situation where there are two holes that Dallas needs to fill that Mark Cuban's going to have to fill out. And there's definitely a big narrative here that this is all revolving around Luka Doncic, especially after that first round series loss to the Clippers. Pardon me, where there's already been reports of turmoil in the locker room. There's fear that even if he signs this five-year Supermax and Dallas has control for half a decade, that the time is already ticking and the clock is already winding down for them to put pieces around Luka. Um, especially in the age of player empowerment, where at any moment, especially given how really good he is, he could just be like, I'm out, and Dallas is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, That's an interesting situation, especially when it comes to how you manage Luka's personality. Um, For as much as Rick Carlisle was a good coach, there were were reports that, you know, his system and Luka Doncic's mindset definitely quieted a bit, especially on the whether you do a freelance and whether you you stick to a system and a rigid mentality, all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's definitely an interesting team to be on, especially, you know, Luke has been on the All-NBA first team the past two seasons in the MVP conversation, a transcendent superstar. Like We're not just talking about, you know, an All-NBA guy for the next, you know, 10 years. We're talking about a guy who could be the next LeBron. And I don't even mean to put that like, as like, oh, this guy's the next LeBron and like, you know, crying like that already. This guy actually has it already in just his third season. He's done things that the likes of Magic Johnson and even Larry Bird did and if not didn't or if that they did and if not did even better. So I mean, we're talking about like one of the best potentially twenty guys in the NBA of all time by the time this kid retires. So if anything, with any all NBA guy you want to keep him, but especially with a guy like Luca, if he says I want new management, if he wants new pieces around him, you go get him his pieces because you do not want to lose potentially one of the best twenty five players of all time. Uh, once his career ends. So it's an interesting situation in Dallas. We'll see what happens. That's definitely a one to look out for, especially because of what's going on, especially because of the recent history. Uh, the question about what Dallas is going to do, especially with Christos Porzingis, you got the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract that needs to be re-signed. A couple other things. So obviously we'll take a look out for that uh, in the near, in the upcoming uh, in the upcoming weeks. The next two teams we could talk about here are in similar situations. Boston, I've already mentioned before, and then New Orleans, which is the not so surprising but still shocking one somehow. Um, two teams where, again, you're headed by very young players. Um, you've got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in Boston, and obviously Zion Williamson, and then the core of you know Brandon Ingram, Lonzo, whatever is going on there uh, for the Pelicans. Um, it's, you know... It's one of those situations where it's kind of like them trying to find a new guy who can lead those teams and give them direction. 
Stan Van Gundy for as much as he was a basketball wizard as an analyst and whatever and his past experiences just couldn't crack the code on this New Orleans team. I think part of it's also um, the the management of their assets. I think, you know, signing Eric Bloodsoe and Steven Adams to these long-term extensions didn't really do much for them. Um, I think that the fit with Zion and Brandon Ingham together is also a little bit wonky. And now this is where it gets interesting because of the rumors behind Zion Williamson not being happy in New Orleans, and even some of his family members being like, hey, we, we're not the happiest here. We would not be opposed to going to another team or another city. This is already what New Orleans Pelicans fans fear when they got Zion, was that the clock was already ticking on Zion, now heading into his, what, third NBA season, and now there's already questions about can he just leave? And I don't know if he's going to be the next guy to just dip and go to a big market team. Uh, I, I can't say for sure. I don't want to make that assertion yet. But this is insane. Like, this is something that I think many people feared already, and it's coming into fruition for New Orleans. And they really need to figure their stuff out. I think they've got questions about whether Williamson and Brandon Ingham can really fit together alongside each other on an NBA roster. They've got questions about whether Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart are worth certain amounts of money or whether they're better off as trade assets. They need to figure out what the the big need is. Is it getting, you know, a stretch five who can play off of Zion but also cover the paint, which is a very difficult thing to manage? Is it getting, like, a lead ball handler who's better? Is it getting, you know, your Chris Middleton archetype of 3 and D wing that can do more than just be a three, that can just shoot threes and play defense? There's a lot to figure out in New Orleans, and that's going to be an interesting situation. So whoever takes that job, got to find the right combinations there. And we don't have to spend too much on uh, too much time on this one, but Boston especially. I mean, they're in a situation where they're in this no man's land of like they've got these two young guys, but they're also trying to figure out how to elevate themselves to the next level. And I think uh, I don't know. We're gonna have to figure out if Brad Stevens the, how big of a loss he is, and whether and the next guy can replace him because he was an innovative genius and like he was one of the smartest coaches probably in the NBA. It's why he got hired right at Butler and shocked the world. On the other hand, though, this team definitely looked soft at times. It definitely looked like it lacked chemistry. It looked like they didn't know what they were doing sometimes. And, you know, it was just like Tatum dribbling at the top of the key and saying, make offense. And he would have to do that. So, again, we got two interesting teams here, semi-young guys heading their rosters. And it's just going to be crazy to see what they're going to do for both their respective off-seasons. Um, we got two more teams here that I think are pretty interesting, and that's the Indiana Pacers and the Portland Trail Blazers. Uh, two teams, again, uh, always consistently in the mix for either making the playoffs or whatever. I think definitely Portland way better than Indiana for sure by miles. Um, so definitely also two situations, though, that have a lot of questions. I think if you're Portland, you still have a question as to whether Damian Lillard, for as much as he is signed to this long-term extension, can be your guy. Or do you need to trade him now before he wants out and just, you know, plays the, the trenches game? You have questions about whether, you know, CJ McCollum can be the next best guy. Can you trade him and get, you know, pieces back? Um, it seems like Portland, for in terms of the roster management, is saying we're going to hold off for now. We're going to make Dame happy and we're going to get him another coach. I, th- I mean, I think firing Terry Stotts, I think, was the right idea. If you weren't going to improve the roster, you're going to instill a new culture in Portland, you were going to find a guy who wouldn't make your team 29th in defense. Uh, I understand this wasn't the best defensive team in terms of personnel, but you can't be the 29th best defensive team. Uh, And Terry Stotts couldn't have cracked that code. 
So it'll be interesting to see what happens in Portland. There's obviously been a bunch of rumors about Damian Lillard and could he just say, I want to trade? Could Portland trade him at the trade deadline? A couple other ways to look at that. So uh, interesting situations indeed. I definitely want to kick, keep my eye on Portland, um, especially in regards to what they do personnel-wise because they're already actually pretty uh, uh, set with their lineups because they've got a lot of money dedicated to the same seven guys or whatever. So... We'll play it from there. And then if you're Indiana, you're in this weird as hell situation where you basically made, you made the playing tournament and then you got flamed out. On the other hand, though, your starting lineup with just theoretically Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, and then the Sabonis-Turner pairing uh, played zero minutes together. So in other words, their five best guys didn't play a minute together. On the other hand, there was some real team chemistry issues, especially with Nate Bjorkman in charge, a bunch of situations with that. So now the real question is that you've got all these guys locked up to contracts, but then half of them are due for extension soon, and they're going to get paid, paid. Like Turner and Sabonis are going to get paid soon. Um, a couple other guys just are going to be off their deals. And um, I just think Indiana's in this weird predicament where I don't think this team's going to even make more than you know a sixth seed in the East, but then you're paying almost a luxury task for a borderline playoff team. I just I don't know what's going to happen there. So hopefully this new coach can, you know, build around Turner and Sabonis still, instill some sort of philosophy around uh, becoming more modernized with the NBA, despite having, you know, two bigs down low working around each other. So we'll definitely see what's going to happen there. And then the last two teams, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but I think Washington and Orlando, two middling uh, Eastern Conference teams that just needed a coach to make people happy. Um, if you're Orlando, you're just going to a full-blown rebuild and trying to find some probably young guy or some maybe NBA player that wants a coaching gig to just instill a culture. I think I think Orlando finally did something right for once and basically said, we are not a good team. It's time to hit the reset button and rebuild. Um, really just trade all the young all the guys that we had that were pieces and really get the ground running, build around hopefully Mark Helfolds, Jonathan Isaac, this upcoming top whatever pick they have. Um again, we'll get more into the offseason later, but I just definitely that's a big piece of news to point out there. And then if you're Washington, I mean you're just trying to give Beal and Westbrook a guy because I wasn't a big fan of Scott Brooks. You could have made the case besides uh Stan Van Gundy, he was probably the worst coach in the league. I mean there was even some stuff they were doing in that Sixers series where I'm not even going to say myself because I'm, I don't want to be humble here. But even other individuals, you know, they could have figured that out. Even just like casual NBA fans like, hey, why are you playing these two lines together? Hey, why is Alex Len getting 20 minutes a night when, you know, he's a negative the minute he steps on the court and a positive when he leaves and stuff like that. So, again, in short, we got a lot of coaching vacancies. This is one of the bigger ones I've seen probably in years. We've got, you know, almost a, a third of the league wanting a new coach or a new direction for their franchise. So once the offseason comes around, we'll definitely keep up with the news and all that sort of stuff. But just wanted to point that out there, get that in there. I definitely want to talk uh, in this upcoming pod with some of our guests about some of these vacancies, some of the most intriguing jobs, and definitely these situations, particularly, you know, with these bigger name franchises like Dallas and Boston and uh, Portland and New Orleans. And then lastly, uh, some of the All-NBA announcements, or excuse me, some of the uh, accolades are already being released in the NBA, and one of them is All-NBA. Uh, as you know, I've always been a huge fan of the All-NBA. I think they do a good job at um, really providing you with the context as to who's the best, who are the best teams, or the best players in the league, what are some of the big-name teams, because obviously some teams get rewarded with uh, maybe two guys or whatever, um, a couple of things before I actually get into the All-NBA teams. 
first off, I think this season was probably one of the hardest to predict for all NBA teams for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, you got people missing different times. You got the shortened NBA year, which means that every game matters more compared to a typical regular season. Teams that really uh, we thought were going to be good underachieved. Teams that came out of nowhere overachieved. Um, balancing, you know, how much credit do we give to the older legends and, you know, the younger upper, up-and-coming superstars. So, yeah, definitely one of the hardest all-NBA seasons to predict and to pick. So just to do a little exercise here, because I really I love talking about the all-NBA teams. I think it'll be a good idea to run down who my top 15 were at the time that we did them. So uh, for reference, this actually was my list of all-NBA guys, just to point how much has changed. Uh, this was my list of all-NBA guys back in episode 5 of the pod. So we're talking about like uh, late February, early March here. So right, not even before, way before the All-Star game, way before the trade deadline. Like we were talking about like early on in the season. Just to get a feel for like how different things have changed and comparing my team to their, to what actually ended up happening. So the we'll start with the first team that I had chosen all the way back around this time period. So I had Steph Curry and Damian Lillard as the two guards. Uh, Giannis, Antetokounmpo, and LeBron James are the two forwards, and then Embiid at center. Uh, and only two of those landed. Steph Curry and Giannis both made All-NBA first team uh, in actuality, but Luka Doncic made it over Damian Lillard. Uh, definitely a big debate there. I was flip-flopping between those time and time again, ultimately going for Dame. It ended up being Luka. Uh, Kawhi Leonard made it on the All-NBA first team, which was um, definitely, bec- I mean, the LeBron James injury, uh, definitely took him out of the running. Kevin Durant not being healthy the whole time. All the other guys didn't really step up. Kawhi had a really good year, though. 25, 7, and 5 for sure. He he deserved to make it. And then Jokic made it. I think Jokic just ascent as the MVP once Embiid went down, once the Nuggets really started finding their groove. I mean, that was definitely a turning point for that. So already off the bat, we got some differences. All-NBA second teams where it gets even weirder, too. So All-NBA second team, the NBA has uh, Damian Lillard and Chris Paul. Julius Randle and LeBron James, and then Joel Embiid. So this is mine is completely different. I've got James Harden on here, who didn't make an All NBA team at all. Uh, Luka Doncic, who made the first team. Kawhi, who made the first team. Uh, Durant, who didn't make an NBA team, an All NBA team uh, at all. Um, uh, lo- excuse me. Uh, and then Nikola Jokic, who made the first team. So in other words, you can automatically tell. Um, off the bat here, what 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 happened, especially with some of these injuries, some of these up uh, ascending guys around this time, the whole Suns being very very good. Do they deserve an All NBA guy? Never happened yet, which is why Chris Paul made second team, which I think he deserved. Don't get me wrong, I think his 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 impact goes more on the sixteen five and nine he averaged. He's just a really damn good player that elevates your floor. Julius Randle making All NBA second team is probably my biggest red flag. Not that he didn't deserve it. I think he should have made an All-NBA team. I mean, the Knicks were the fourth seed. You give credit for that. With that said, though, I think him getting, you know, 90-whatever percent of the vote for most improved player already hinted that the big market New York bias was going to hit the voting, and it definitely showed when he made second team over, you know, guys who I think are better. Like, I think for as much as he was good this year, I think, you know, Jimmy Butler and Paul George and Tatum and some of these guys could have made that second spot over him. But it's okay. I mean... It's going to happen. I think people are going to overrate Randall. He's had good improvements, but then again, we saw in these playoffs that very limited player indeed, and we'll just have to see how that... He, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make an All-NBA team next year. I'm going to say that right now. Um, that's definitely my, my most disappointing pick. 
or a difference is that back in late February when I did these All-NBA teams, I just wasn't a fan of it at the time. And obviously the stock definitely went a little bit more up, but I'm not the biggest fan of Julius Randle. I thought, you know, that was probably like one of the worst decisions of this All-NBA thing. Now onto the third team, which becomes even more insane crazy because there could have been so many different directions. So I actually somehow got a majority of them right, which is super cool. Uh, Rudy Gobert I had on here, he made it. Bradley Beal I had on here, he made it. Jimmy Butler I had on here, and he made it. And Paul George I had on here, he made it. Now the only difference is that I had Jason Tatum on here. Uh, over They had instead on this Kyrie Irving. That last spot was impossible. I mean, Zion Williamson could have made it. I think Trey Young and Donovan Mitchell could have made it. Um, there was a mini case for Devin Booker. Uh, Chris Middleton probably could have made it if they had mo- shifted some stuff around. Maybe Bam could have made it as a forward or whatever. Again, like not as a heap guy, whatever. Uh, and then again, we're still missing big names on this all NBA third team. I mean, you know, James Harden and Kevin Durant didn't make it. And Kevin Durant's, you know, probably the best player in the playoffs. And James Harden is still James Harden. So, um, in terms of things that just stood out for me, reflecting back on, Looking at my teams back all the way in February and looking at them now, the injury bug definitely hurt a lot of cases. I think LeBron and Embiid especially um, definitely definitely you know got affected by that. Uh, once again, the All-NBA being affected by narratives, especially toward the end of the season. Suns getting a lot of credit for the late surge. They're now contenders. Probably made Chris Paul uh, barely All-NBA guy to you know, the second teamer. Uh, the Wizards surging probably led Bradley Beal to being an All-NBA third team. I think if the Wizards didn't get off to, if they got off to a slightly better start but a worse finish, he probably doesn't make the All-NBA team just because of that. Um, uh, a couple others. I mean, the Julius Randle one, obviously, in New York. I think if New York doesn't have that weird run toward the end of the season where they go from, like, the sixth-ish sheet to, like, you know, a clear four seed, they, he, Randle does not make the second team for sure. Uh, and then, obviously, there's a lot of contradictions this year. I mean... On the one hand, they wanted to reward teams that won, but then Bradley Beal got on here, even though the Wizards were never a good team, and you can make a case that it was hard to leave to leave him on there. But then, on the other hand, Jason Tatum had a really good season, and James Harden had a really good season, and Kevin Durant had a really good season, and they're nowhere to be found on these All-NBA teams. I mean, it definitely shows... I mean, don't get me wrong. It definitely shows the improvement in talent. I think the NBA, you can make a case, is more talented now, probably, in a while, just because, uh, just, it, it, it's a lot. I mean, the NBA really has improved. You've got this weird balance of the older guys, that second tier of middle core, that's, you know, your Paul Georges and um, Dame Lillard's of the world that I think are still there. And then you've got your younger guys that are really stepping up. Like, I think Giannis and Luka, and even these other dudes, like Trey Young and Donovan Mitchell now making All-NBA third team. They had great years. I mean, you're talking about two teams here that, you know, overachieved and then some and really were the, the cornerstones of what would define this NBA season. So that's definitely one takeaway, that one massive takeaway there um, in terms of, like, the influences of this year's All-NBA. Um, and then last, I mean, it'll be interesting to see historically how these are taken with because, I mean, you know uh, – we're going to look back 20 years from now and be like, wait, Julius Randle got an All-NBA second team out of literally, after literally being the worst all-points, no-winning guy ever. And, oh, Chris Paul is still an All-NBA second teamer, even though he's an old as dirt and all these things. So I think I, I just, I'm always a fan of the All-NBAs, especially because they context they contextualize who are the best 15 players at a certain point, or at least in the older days, the top 10 players are. They 
for the most part, within reason. They help you in terms of the the resume. I mean, the fact that you can see a guy like Chris Paul get an All-NBA team as early as like his second or third or even fourth season, and then as late as, you know, now, shows like, you know, things like longevity and different peaks and uh, influence on like winning and consistency. And I think those things matter when you're talking about legacy-wise certain players. Especially if you're a guy like, um, I don't know, um, uh, you know, even like Damon Lillard, where if he's not going to be a guy known for his playoff success, especially because he's only made one Western Conference Finals, these All-NBAs and accolades really do help him. And they really do round out a good career that can be talked about within the grand scheme of things. So, in short, this is obviously all a mouthful. Covered a lot of topics, a lot of different things, mainly focusing on news and off-season stuff, just because these were all important topics that I wanted to get covered before I bring back on guests to the pod. So we will be having two NBA episodes this week. Hopefully, by the time uh, that the next episode comes out, we'll be focusing on talking about what's going to happen with the uh, the NBA playoffs at the day we're recording. Um, we should, Phoenix and LA will already be going underway. We'll be finding out what's going to happen with Atlanta and Philly, Brooklyn and Milwaukee will be decided today as I'm recording this. Um, we'll be definitely touching upon those things. And even some, I want to just talk about some, some of the potential news that might come up in the next couple of days. Cause it sounds like we're going to be, this is going to be an off season for sure. This is going to be insane. So other than that, thank you guys so much for listening. A little bit of a ramble going on for, you know, close to 40 minutes here. But definitely, thank you guys for all the support. We'll be having more NBA stuff coming along the way, um, especially once the offseason gets in, and especially when the NBA Finals get started more. So I want to have episodes every day just breaking down every game and talking about all that sort of stuff. So that's all I've got for now. More episodes again coming soon. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.